Welcome to Become an Idol. I'm Dr. Robin Sargent, owner of Idol Courses. This is the place where newbies come to learn and veterans share their knowledge. I have here with me today, Barbara Faulkner, and I actually met Barbara through the Idle Courses Academy, and I brought her on here because I saw her resume, and it is full of a rich, rich background, especially in the nonprofit world, and just so many other experiences that I just thought it would, I would just love to hear Barbara tell some of her stories and really dive into being an instructional designer and a trainer in the nonprofit world. And so, Barbara, will you go ahead and do do a better job of just kind of introducing yourself and a little bit about your background. Sure thing. Thank you for having me, Dr. Robin. I appreciate it. So yes, I'm Barbara Faulkner and I am an instructional designer and trainer. I work on a consultant and contractor basis all around the world. A little bit about me, like I did not, I wasn't one of those kids who said, oh, I want to be a teacher. Like that's what I want to do. No. I did a lot of training and teaching when I was actually in school. I worked in other classrooms and stuff, and I always loved it, but I never saw it as like a job that I wanted to do because I loved adventure. My family traveled and moved around a lot when I was younger, so I kind of had that adventure spirit in my blood, so I wanted the more adventurous life. So long story short, blah, 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 traveled around the world just for fun and kicks and things like that. And eventually I had to buckle down and go back to school. And I chose teaching because it was, it was in my blood and it's what I love to do. So I actually put myself through college as a trainer, believe it or not, in nonprofit. It was the Arizona Relay Service. And if you're not familiar, a relay service is used by people who are deaf or hard of hearing. And the relay service basically translates a phone call for them to businesses. So I worked as a trainer in nonprofit that many, many years ago. And then, of course, I got my degree and I went into education. I loved, loved, loved teaching and training. It is, it is my heart's work. It's what I, it's just what I love doing. And then I learned about international schools and I thought, oh my gosh, I can teach, which I love doing, and I can go international, which I also love doing. So off I went <laughs> and I did the international school route for a few years quite a few years. And then reasons brought me back to the US and I found I just didn't love the American school system anymore. A lot had changed while I was gone and I just, I, I didn't feel it was the right place for me. So I went back to my roots of nonprofit. And I started out as a trainer in a small nonprofit, actually, in Goodwill. A lot of people think of Goodwill as the store, but they actually have a really rich program for persons with disabilities. And so I, I was a trainer in that program, training staff how to work with people with disabilities. And worked my way up through that, became program director, switched to another nonprofit, became director of adult services, and then CEO, and all these kind of things. But all through that, when you're in the nonprofit world, you wear many, many hats. So even as CEO, ultimately training came onto my shoulders. So... 
developing training because we don't have the resources. You know, we can't hire an ID for $500 an hour or anything. So, you know, as CEO, you get to do all those things, especially if you have a background in training. So did lots of training in all different things, you know, computer software, crisis intervention, best practices, you name it, lots of different trainings that I created and presented. Did that for many years and then kind of just got burnt out on corporate and people don't think of nonprofit as corporate, but it has its own kind of corporate feel and red tape and stuff. So in 2014, I became an independent contractor and I started providing trainings to various companies and organizations, large and small. I didn't know the term instructional designer at that point. I was just a trainer. Like that's what I did. I created the training and I presented it. That's what I called myself. And I did some, still some online teaching, that kind of thing. Did that for quite a few years. And I just, I think turning 50 did something to me. And I thought, I'm just lost. Like, yes, I love doing this, but I need more. Like I, I just need more. And my sister and I were having a conversation one day and she said, Barbara, if you could do anything in the world, what would you do? And I said, if I could do anything in the world, I would go to a country that really needs help. And I would work in a refugee camp or teach somewhere or, you know, do something where my skills that I love to do can be truly utilized by a country that needs me. So that was on a Friday. Over that weekend, I was looking online and I came across a job posting for Peace Corps Response. So most of you know Peace Corps, but Peace Corps Response is for trained professionals. They call us professionals in our field. We have experience. We know what we're doing, that kind of thing. I read that job description and I said, that's mine. That is my job. (laughs) I applied for it. And three months later, I was gone. I was out of the country and I was taken to Grenada, which is a small country in the Caribbean. And I served as a trainer here. I was teaching teachers how to be teachers because they don't, in Grenada, they don't actually have to go to teacher college to become a teacher. Yeah, uh, yeah. Once they're done with secondary school, if they have good enough grades, they can become a teacher. So obviously there's a lot of skills that they're missing. So that was what I was doing was training teachers. And I fell in love with Grenada, absolutely fell in love with it. And I... When my Peace Corps, I actually extended my Peace Corps time because my contract was for a year and I ended up staying a year and a half. And when it was over, I stayed in Grenada. I didn't go back to the US and I continued my online contracting business right here from Grenada. And then, of course, COVID hit and borders started to shut down. And for personal reasons, I needed to get back to the U.S. And so I literally caught the last flight out of Grenada. It was an expat flight arranged by the embassy. And I was on that baby and back in the U.S. And so I was back in the U.S. and I just I just didn't love it. So as soon as borders opened back up again, I came back to Grenada And here I am. I continue to do what I now refer to as instructional design and training. I know better now because what I was doing all those years was instructional design. Most of it has been instructor-led training. Obviously, before COVID, much of it was face-to-face. Once COVID hit, we did the Zoom thing and everything like that. But I realized moving forward, I really needed to expand my skills. And I knew nothing about e-learning. Nothing, nothing, nothing. 
And so I started exploring things and I actually started seeing these people on LinkedIn and I was looking at their profiles and a lot of them had this I-D-O-L, all in caps. I'm like, what the heck is this? What is, what is this thing they keep talking about? So I looked it up and I thought, oh, that looks very interesting. So I actually messaged one of the people, Britt Crew. She's a, yeah, yeah, she's a mentor. I'm sorry. I'm just talking, talking, talking. I'm almost done. Okay. <laughs> so I messaged Brit Crew totally out of the blue. And I said, I, you know, what's this idol thing? Can you tell me a little bit more about it? I see it. And she said, Oh, yes, it's wonderful. And she told me, and I was sold. That was it. So I signed up for idol like probably the next day or something like that. And I was in cohort nine. So January of this year. And it blew me away. It absolutely blew me away. I thought I knew so much about training and instructional design. And I learned. So, so, so much. I can't even tell you. Like there were programs in Idle that I've never even heard of. And now I know how to use them and I have them on my portfolio and everything. So yeah. So now I've expanded to e-learning development as well. So blah, that's it. Sorry. Long, long story. I'm, I'm enraptured, Barbara. I am just, (laughs) you're not uh, doing anything wrong in my account. I just love hearing your story. And I keep writing down questions like, well, where, where are the, some of the places that you went for these international schools? That was like one of my yeah. first questions. And then I have a, a whole bunch of other ones because your story is so fascinating. I know that people are like, okay, so where did you go? I mean, I like adventures too. And so I'm just thinking like, what's it like to go? I mean, when you're, when you're traveling around, you're doing training. I mean, you're doing it in English, probably for a room full. T- talk to me about that. Like, what does that look yes. like? Yeah. So my training has always been in English. I have learned other languages over the years, but I am not fluent in any of them. I used to be fluent in French, but you know, one of those things, if you don't use it, you lose it. So yes, my training has always been in English. Sometimes there are interpreters. More often than not, there are not interpreters because they expect the learners to have a basic understanding of English in whatever they're doing. So yeah, that hasn't really been a problem. There are some times when there is a language gap and we have to kind of work through something. But for the most part, I would say that 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 really hasn't been an issue. More often than not, it's sometimes just word choices. They just don't understand the word choice I'm using. Like we're on the same page, but we're using different words um, because they were taught British English or they have a different dialect or something like that, you know, but for the most part, it's okay. What about the environments themselves? Because I imagine you're actually in the classroom if you're doing, if you're an international teacher and that was kind of your goal was to go to these other countries. So what, yeah. what was some of your classrooms? Yeah. <clears throat> chain. It's so different everywhere you go. The very first place I went was Japan. And we had actually lived there when I was a kid for a year. So that's kind of why I went back. It was very, I was a single female, very safe in Japan. I'd been there before. It was kind of comfortable for me. And it's very formal there. Now, mind you, I was in a brand new international school. I actually became vice principal of the school and everything. And again, loads of training there as vice principal, (laughs) but a much more formal environment than what we think of in the United States. And then after that, I went to Mexico to a private school. It was so interesting because, and, and I chose Mexico because I wanted something polar opposite of Japan. 
polar opposite. And so Mexico seemed like a good fit. So I worked in a very wealthy school there with a lot of diplomat kids and things like that. So just to tell you a little story, it's, I'm sorry, it's got nothing to do with instructional di- design, but it's hilarious. So a girlfriend and I would walk home, catch the subway to get home after school. One day it was raining and she and I were walking by and this car pulls up next to us. And one of her kids, one of her students, you know, rolls down the window and, oh, Miss Susie, Miss Barbara, you know, come on and get in the car. We'll give you a ride. And we're like, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. We're, we're fine. He's like, no, it's okay. It's a bulletproof car. You'll be safe. And I was just like, oh my goodness gracious. But that's, that's just to tell you what kind of school it was. It was it was a very wealthy school. So yeah, very different. And then that car, I'd be like, Oh, do I need a bulletproof car? Okay. <laughs> no, because I have no money. You, you can kidnap me, but nobody's going to pay you anything for me. So I didn't need a bulletproof car. <laughs> so, and then Grenada is so, so, so opposite of any of that. And I love Grenada. So I am not dissing on Grenada at all, but I was shocked when I walked into the classroom and I saw what they were working with or not working with really. There were literally holes in the floor, Dr. Robin. Like I could see the dirt below the school. You know what I mean? Because there were holes and like alphabet lines are just probably 20 years old and falling apart. And, you know, it was just, it was really, it, it, touches your heart, you know, like it really gets to you. And I, and again, I'm not trying to discriminate it. They do an awesome, awesome, awesome job with what resources they have. And so I think that's part of why Grenada really hit me because they work so hard and they, they do such a good job with nothing, like nothing. So yeah, it's, I've been in all different kinds of settings. Yeah. And Grenada's where you choose to stay, which is, yes. Yeah. And so I want to talk a little bit about kind of, so you've worked in, you know, public education, private education, and you've done a lot in the nonprofit world. So I bet there are a lot of people who are thinking like, okay, well, I'm a teacher and now I want to become an instructional designer. And I've heard a lot of them say, I want to get into nonprofits, probably because of the same kind of feelings that you have, Barbara. So could you just kind of share with them, like, what is it like to work in a nonprofit as a trainer or an instructional designer? Are there certain things um, that you should look for in a nonprofit when you want to go work for them besides their mission? Or is their mission their only thing that you're looking for? And if you want to get a job at a nonprofit, is there a certain way that you present yourself? So any kind of insights in that world that you want to share? Sure. Yeah. Nonprofit is very different than education. I think there are a couple of key things that you should look at at, for any nonprofit is obviously their mission. And is it just on paper? Are they really doing what their mission says? That's really, that's really important because a lot of them have this lovely mission, but when you really look at their actions, are they really doing what they say? So that's number one, look at that mission and are they doing it? Number two is like it or not, you need to look at their finances and a nonprofit's Finances are public. So that has to be, if you can't get their finances, then you don't want to work for them because <laughs> that's a red flag right there. So you want to make sure that they're fiscally sound. You're not going to make a ton of money in nonprofits. So if you're trying to get out of teaching and move to nonprofits to become rich, that's not going to happen unless you work for one of the really, really, really big nonprofits. But I think the biggest thing for moving into nonprofit and working as a trainer is 
selling yourself as a public servant. And that's what we are as teachers, you know, and that's what we are as trainers and nonprofits. We're public servants. We're doing something for the greater good of society in both of those situations. And so you really need to highlight that for sure. Depending on the nonprofit, you want to highlight any work that you've done with adults. So any parent trainings I did became very relevant. Community trainings that I did became relevant, all of those kind of things. So definitely, you know, sell those things on your resume when you're looking at nonprofit training. The biggest thing with nonprofit training is you need to be prepared for anything goes. It could be a whole lot of committees that, you know, talk and talk and talk, and you don't really get anywhere for a really long time. Or it could be like, oh, here, we need you to do this. Just go do it. And they just give it to you and expect you to go off and run with it, which can be good or bad, depending on your personality. And I've also noticed a lot of nonprofits don't always know what they want. They Corporate seems much more directed in their desire. Like, okay, this is a skill that our employees are lacking. We need you to fix it through training. Boom. End of story. Here's your budget. Here's your timeline. Go do it. Nonprofit is more like, well, we think we might benefit from this program of teaching senior citizens how to work on the computer, you know, but we don't really know how that would work. So do you have any ideas for that? You know, it can be very, very vague. So just be prepared, prepared for that for nonprofit. But if your heart, if your heart is in it, there's nothing like it. Like I, I love nonprofit work. I, I truly, truly love it. Yes. Do I wish I weren't making corporate money? Of course. But you know what? I, my heart is happy and full. So it's all good. That was one of the things that I wrote down to ask you, Barbara, like when you were talking is like, okay, so if the benefit is not money, can you talk a little bit of, bit more about like, what is it about the nonprofit world that, is it that you like that it's kind of loose as far as like, you can just take a project and run with it? Or is it like, what is it for you? For me, I really feel like I'm doing good for for an organization that needs it. I don't know that I would love working in a humongo nonprofit. I don't know that I would love that because they have so many resources and they can hire anybody. And, you know, I want to help an organization that needs my help. It just, it makes, you know, why is somebody, I'm not comparing myself to a missionary by any means, but why is somebody a missionary? You know, it's because it's in their heart. It's what they want to do. And so that's kind of how I feel about nonprofits. I want, I love training. I love it, love it, love it. And if I can do it for an organization that needs my assistance, then that just makes me happy. So that's my personal why, but everybody needs to explore their own why. I imagine that your network is pretty big too, like working in all these nonprofits and you do, do you kind of run into the same type of people or do you have a big network? What does that look like working in all these different places? Have you met a lot of people or... You know, that's move on. (laughs) It's so interesting. I I have to say it's kind of a move on kind of thing. And that's not necessarily a good thing. Like I'm I can always reach back out to people and say, Hey, remember when we worked together, you know, 10 years ago or whatever? You know, I can do that. Like I'm still in touch with people, but I yeah, I wouldn't say it's a big network. When I was working in nonprofits in the disability field. 
in that local environment, I was in Ohio. And that is a very, very tight knit, like those nonprofits, everybody knows everybody, you know, you know who the trainers are, you know who the good managers are, you know, all of that kind of stuff in that very small environment. But once you get more international, it's just huge. If you stay in international schools, Yes, you can start to run into the same people and or know, oh, hey, I have a friend who worked at that school. Do you know so-and-so? Oh, my gosh, yes, I saw her every day, you know. So the international school system can be very interconnected. But I would say that in general, like the broad international nonprofit world is not so interconnected. Now, thinking about your learner population being a little unique, right, in the nonprofit world, what are some of the things that you think about that, you know, maybe I wouldn't think about what if I was to create instructor-led training for like just some employees at a company? What are some of those other things that you think about that's unique to some of your... One of the things that I really struggled with, and I still struggle with, I'll be honest with you, is making the language that I use simple enough to be understood by possibly a second language learner or someone who just doesn't have, maybe he doesn't even have a high school diploma. So I, I really have to think about the words that I use because I tend to, I like to use big words. Like, I don't know, you know, you just like to use big words, but I can't use big words. So that's the biggest thing is watching my, my language to make sure that it's accessible to the learner. I really always have to keep that in mind. Who is this training for? And make sure that it's appropriate for them. Gosh, Dr. Robin, I I think that's the biggest thing that I think of is just making sure that I keep the learner in mind when I'm using words and also technology. Sorry, that's another thing. Technology. Uh, They may not have access to technology. There's a lot of things that we use in like say Zoom trainings with people in the US. Oh, your aha slides would be a good perfect example. So Dr. Robin does this group co- coaching and she's been using aha slides, which are fun and great and everything. I I wouldn't be able to use those necessarily in a nonprofit, especially in the international realm, because they might not have access. Yeah. They might not have access to certainly computers and so, many times not even phones. Yeah. So technology and language, I think, are the biggest things that you need to think about. And resources, you know, just flat out resources. So I did a training recently here in Grenada, an instructor-led face-to-face training back in February for a group of going-to-be teachers. And like, I had to think about do they have pens? Like, do, do I need to bring pens for them to write with? Do I need to bring markers? You know, like, resources just aren't always available in nonprofits as easily. Like in the corporate world, you can just walk in and grab a ream of paper and you don't think twice of it, grab a whole box of pens. Nobody's going to care, you know, in nonprofit, those things become gold. (laughs) So just, so resources, if you're doing like an instructor led training, but yeah, sorry. Those are the three things I think language, technology, and just basic resources. Yeah. This is so fascinating. Okay. And so Now you have e-learning in your tool belt and those kinds of things, Barbara. So what kind of contracts are you focused on now? Are you still focused on nonprofit contracts or are you, well, tell me about it. Starting to maybe move a little bit. You know, as we get older, we start to look at our bank account for retirement and we're like, gosh, that heart doesn't fill the bank account. (laughs) (laughs) 
So yeah, I am starting to look maybe at a little bit more corporate contracts. I do want to remain contracted employee, not employee. That's, that's contradictory. I want to remain an independent contractor because I like being able to work wherever I need to to work, if that's here in Grenada or in the U.S. or maybe somewhere else. So I want to remain an independent contractor, but I am exploring more corporate. You know, there are some things that would probably be a no-go for me, like finances. That just, that whole, like a banking industry job. I don't think I would love that, you know? I just... It's just not who I am, but, you know, healthcare or there's lots of other corporate kind of things that I would really enjoy doing. So, yeah, I think I'm, I'm starting to explore more of that realm. Yes. Thank you for asking. And isn't there even like a business called like a B company, right? Where there are, they're a for-profit company, but they are like a, I think they call them a B company because their, their for-profit company has like a certain impact in in those like nonprofit types of things that they do, like environmental or whatever? Yes, yes. And unfortunately, I'm not a good one to speak to that. I don't know enough about all of that. But yes, you're right. There are. And there are also a lot of, not a lot, but there are some corporations that partner with nonprofits. Kind of the benefit, you know, they, they help them with resources and things like that. And so that would be another lovely thing is work for a corporation that partners with a nonprofit, have the best of both worlds, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, there, there are definitely options out there. And I'm certainly not going to turn down a nonprofit contract if, if it fits my timeline and, you know, my needs and everything like that. But yeah, I would love to explore other options as well. So I'm sure that you have probably talk to, and you also started our international group in the idol community, which I thought that was, that was neat. And of course it just points to like, of course you, you know, moved up to leadership roles, even like you joined the academy and you went ahead and took a leadership role, which I love and appreciate. So I'm sure that you've had other people that have kind of like talked to you, Barbara, and they're just like, well, you know, I'm, I'm a teacher and I'm, I'm looking to kind of do what you do. So just to kind of close this out, what are some of those things that you would tell your friends that want to move into the instructional design space and just kind of based on your own experience and things, what's kind of your best advice that you give them? So I realize that we are on Dr. Robin's Idol podcast, but I will say I will say it honestly. Like I'm not saying that because I'm on your podcast. Idol was a lifesaver to me. Like it taught me so many skills. Again, I thought I knew so much. And as a teacher, we do know so much. We, there were many things that I went into idol. I'm like, yep, know that, know that, know that, know that. Like that's not an issue, but there are so many things we don't know as teachers. So I would really uh, recommend that somebody explore idol and look at all the things that you can learn through that start designing things. You know, if you want to get into instructional design, start doing those things. You can make up a company, you know, make up a company and make a training for this pretend company. Honestly, one of the resources that I did for when I was first learning one of the programs in, in idle, I, I also love the environment. You know, I want to keep the environment beautiful and everything. So I thought I'm going to create this little video about the environment. It was, I did not create it for a company. Like I just created it because, because I needed the experience. But then I turned around and I reached out to a local nonprofit here in Grenada. And I said, would you like 
this video? Would you like to use this video? Like I created it and I hate for it to go to waste. And they're like, oh my gosh, yes, this is exactly what we've been looking for. So now it literally plays in the bank one of the large banks in their lobby that my video plays on the bank. It also plays at the electric company. So as people are standing in line waiting to pay their electric bill, yes, we still pay in person here in Grenada. (laughs) As they're waiting in line, they see my video. So create things, put them out there for people to see. Start making those connections with people, connect with people on LinkedIn in a genuine way, not just, oh, here, I want to connect with you, but have conversations with them, start networking. But honestly, the biggest thing is just educate yourself on some of the tools and resources that are out there and yeah, start doing that. Oh my gosh. Well, okay. I thought that was going to be my last question, but now it's brought up that this, that your video is now famous in Grenada. Uh, I have a lot of people that, you know, always ask things like, okay, well, how do I find a volunteer client? And since it it was so easy for you, like, I know they didn't become your client, but they're like, yes, we do need something like that. What are some of those tips to like, just kind of like, as we close out, what are some tips to get volunteer clients for these from these nonprofits who do you reach out to is it is that one of your tips like create something and see if they want something like that for themselves or you know, I don't know. It worked for me. <laughs> it worked for me because they have asked me to do other video projects for them which I'm happy to do. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. You've got to do what's right for you. I think the biggest thing that I would say is follow your heart because again, you you have to be happy in what you're doing and You don't want to come across as fake or anything like that. So if it's a passion project for you, go, go that route. Like if you love animals, you know, go reach out to the shelters, you know, see what kind of, cause they, they always need training for volunteers and things like that. If your passion is homeless people, reach out to the, the homeless shelters. What kind of trainings might they need? So I think that's my biggest thing is just follow your heart and just be bold. You know, you're, you know, especially if you're a teacher, you're used to standing up in front of people, you know, put on that teacher face and hat and get out there and greet the people and tell them, be real with them. I I just, for one of the clients, I just said, Hey, I'm in this program. I know nothing about the software I'm using. So you're going to have to be patient with me, but I would love to work with you. And, you know, just, just be honest with them and go where your heart takes you. That's my, that's, that's my bleeding heart talking. <laughs> so it's almost like you're saying, Mara, it's like, it's pretty easy to get the client to say, yeah, we'll hire you oh. to whatever. I think so. I yeah. would say if you don't have the experience, be a vo- volunteer your time. Like I don't yeah. want, when I was first started, I don't want you to pay me for it to take me three times longer than it should to create an asset. Do you know what I mean? Like, I I don't expect money for that. So be willing to put yourself out there as a volunteer. But yeah, especially in the nonprofit world, they will, I I think most nonprofits will step snatch up volunteer work in a heartbeat. They really will. Yeah, I think this will be encouraging for people to hear too. Just like, it's not hard. I think people get intimidated just before they even start. They're like, but uh, what do I say when I reach out to them? And, and what you yeah, just sound real simple. <laughs> yeah, just be honest. Hey, I'm transitioning. I need to learn some new programs. Can I help you out? You know, and they're going to, chances are pretty good. They're going to say yes. So do it. Be brave. 
I love it. I just love your spirit. I just love your background, Barbara. And thank you so much for sharing your heart and really like where you are in your career. And I'm sure there'll be tons of people that'll want to connect with you. Can they connect with you on LinkedIn? Absolutely. Yes. I hope you'll put my LinkedIn down below the video. So Dr. Robin, thank you so much for having me. I know I can talk, 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 but I I genuinely enjoyed our time together. Thank you so much. Me too. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at idlecourses.com. If you like this podcast and you want to become an instructional designer and online learning developer, join me in the Idle Courses Academy where you'll learn to build all the assets you need to land your first instructional design job, early access to this podcast, tutorials for how to use the e-learning authoring tools, templates for everything course building, and paid instructional design experience opportunities. Go to idlecourses.com forward slash academy and enroll or get on the wait list. Now get out there and build transcendent courses.